Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 114 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr Nick Boyle on the show with us today. Nick is the founder, CEO and Chief Evangelist of Silverdale. He is a process improvement and technology guru that is focused on helping everyone achieve results. Today we'll be discussing capturing knowledge across a whole organisation. Let's get into the episode. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. I appreciate it. Nick, what's your backstory? Like, What led you down this path towards Silverdale and business improvement and all that you do? Yeah, so uh, you can probably tell from my accent that uh, I'm originally from Scotland and like Every good Scottish boy at the age of 16, I started working at a whiskey distillery and uh, I started working there during the summer, which was great. Uh, My job was to walk up and down the yard with uh, production schedules and uh, I loved it until it got to winter. And suddenly the uh, walking up and down the yard and the snow and the ice wasn't quite so much fun. So um, so really that led me into process improvement um, because, you know, we got some uh, fax machines in the production office and the production line and we started faxing this information backwards and forwards. You've got to remember this is 30 years ago. So before we even had email um, that we were we were coming up with these things. So so that's what really got me into process improvement. And I stayed really in that sphere for the last 30 years through um, working at Glenmorangie, the whiskey company, for six and a half years, and then made my way into logistics, supply chain, manufacturing, and then eventually into the technology part of that, uh, looking at ERP systems implementations, uh, went through consulting, and then uh, ended up working at Amazon as a business and tech leader there, again, kind of bringing both my operations experience, uh, systems experience, all really coming together into process improvement. And that's really what led me to Silverdale three years ago, which really is a culmination of all my kind of 30 plus years of experience, uh, all coming together really nicely into uh, what we're building here at Silverdale. That's neat. And Nate Boy, from the whiskey distillery and through and then hitting Amazon, you've been in some companies that are prominent brands, but also scaling quickly. Like I bet you've seen some wild rides through your time with the pace of change and improvement. Oh, 100%. Uh, You know, uh, going back to my Amazon days, which was kind of 10 years ago when I first started there. um, It was really interesting time at Amazon when I first started there. I was one of uh, 20,000 employees worldwide, which made, which felt like a big company at the time. I left five years later. I was then one of 120,000 uh, employees just five years later, uh, and now you know over a million employees globally. Um, one of the lessons I learned from my time at Amazon was, you know, if it doesn't work at scale, it doesn't work. And when you look at the growth that Amazon was experiencing and still is uh, experiencing, it really it really does become true. Um, you know, if it works just for today's volume, then it isn't going to work tomorrow. It ain't going to work next week. So you constantly could be building with future scale in mind. And again, that's something which, um, you know, I brought with me uh, into uh, into my Silverdale days as well. 
It's great advice, isn't it, Nick? Because often companies can get stuck at the scale they're at. And if they're not putting in the systems and structures and, and I guess, leadership behaviours to right at the start to be able to scale rapidly, they're going to hit the wall, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. We see that time and time again. Uh, you know, again, if you're not ready to operate this process, this system, the sales, if it doesn't work at 10 or 50x um, of where you are today, then you're never going to get there. That's the reality. Um, you're just constantly just going to be turning that wheel, you know, faster and harder um, as opposed to changing the wheel. And that's that's really what we help companies do here at Silverdale as well. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. I've got this burning question in the back of my mind because I'm thinking, some listeners on this topic would be thinking, yeah, but you've got to invest a lot of money. It's really hard to get that sort of structures and be ready to be able to scale like that. But is it is it hard to be able to be prepared with the right systems and structures to be able to scale rapidly? Um, so two questions there, I think. Is it hard and do you have to spend a lot of money? Um, so, <laughs> um, yes, uh, it's hard, definitely, because you know it's got to be a conscious thought. Uh, it doesn't just happen by accident. I, I don't think any of us are really hardwired to really operate and get ready for scale. Uh, that's, you know, we, we come in, we get we do our day, we go home again, and we're not really thinking about, well, what does this look at 20, 50x of where I am today? Um, do you have to spend a lot of money? Well, you know, in the past, you know, getting access to professionals such as, you know, we have at Silverdale was very expensive. You know, you had to get yourself one of those top tier consulting companies or invest a lot of money in systems, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in those sorts of systems. And that's one of the reasons why Silverdale exists. Our vision is to democratize ERP. So those systems that companies can use to run their entire business. Our vision is to really democratize that for businesses of any size and scale. Um, so whatever your budget is, we can get you access to the right systems to help you scale your business. And that's why I started Silverdale. That's why we're really passionate about here. Yeah, we're in a new era, aren't we, with technology sort of meeting innovation and then with the right structures and systems, it's it's not as difficult as it used to be in the past to be able to, you know, do what you need to do and go forward rapidly. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, back in the day, uh, everyone would reach for uh, for Excel to manage this stuff. And there's, you know, thankfully these days there are far better ways of managing your business. If you're still doing it in Excel or even uh, you moved on to Google Sheets, uh, then, uh, we, you know, we've, we, we've got some news for you. Uh, yeah, there's a much yeah. better way of doing that now. Yeah, nice. Who were some people that inspired you along the way on your journey, you know, from the distillery all the way through into Amazon and on ongoing? Who were some people that you really learned from and looked up to? You know, uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, I, I, I could name quite a few individuals, but when I, when I look at, you know, what they all have in common, really these are people who've really challenged me, right? And, you know, not accepted my level of performance um, and, you know, kind of give me a kick up the ass and say, hey, you can do better on this. So go think about this. So go think bigger, go think wider. You know, what are the implications on people up and down uh, the supply chain from where you are? You know, they're really those people who really make me sit back and be uncomfortable um, and really think about what I'm doing um, and really not accepting kind of mediocre performance, you know? Um, you know, when I look back at it now, yeah, it was a pain, uh, very uncomfortable and, uh, you know, uh, upsetting at times to get that kind of feedback. But actually, um, those are the people that really, you know, kind of projected me forward and, and kind of got me where I am today. So, 
That's great, mate. That's great. Um, Nick, with with um, we're talking today about capturing knowledge across the organisation, which is a big topic. Like, why is it important to be able to capture knowledge across the organisation? Yeah, um, you know, we what's one of the things we do here at Silverdale. We did it from day one. Uh, is really making sure that everything we do, um, you know, if one person knows something um, at Silverdale, then everybody needs to know it. And you know, when you start a company, it's quite easy to do when there's only one, two, three, four of you. You know, sharing that knowledge, you know, regular phone calls, chats, etc., can, can be achieved pretty easily. As we grew and scaled, uh, now up to nearly 40 employees, uh, and of course during COVID, with everybody being remote, um, you know, it was really difficult, and we really found that you know that information was was being lost. And you know, wh- why it's important for organisations? Well, you know. Reducing errors um, and conflicting information. You know, how many times have we spoken to a company and got conflicting information from different people in call centers or whatever it may be, or different information in store versus online versus, you know, on the phone? Um, you can get faster resolution to problems. You can reuse the information, make it repeatable, make it understandable, and again, helps your business to scale. Um, if you're not really capturing that knowledge, and then using that knowledge of capturing is one thing, but then making it usable uh, and accessible is something entirely different. Um, but unless you're doing that, you're going to constantly be running into the same things, the same frustrations, um, and um, people are going to be start making it up, right? Um, someone's going to have one way of solving something, someone's going to have another way of doing it, you know, and it, it, it develops into a very inconsistent experience, both internally, but a very inconsistent experience for your customers. Um, so capturing that knowledge and reusing that knowledge, um, you know, is a key part of being able to scale and uh, make a business, you know, grow. So I guess it's it's within an organisation to be able to scale and really, you know, grow into the future rapidly, capturing knowledge, but then having that rapid communication capability is really important. Like, is that one of the key hearts to it that you see? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, I, I think about knowledge management really in kind of three big buckets. One is capturing it, um, one is accessing it, and the other one is using it. Um, and you know, if you capture, um, search, and use, do those three things, I think you're doing pretty well. Um, you know, a lot of I, I, you know, I've been seeing a lot of companies who do a really good job at kind of capturing a lot of information, a lot of data, um, a lot of information, but actually just sits there, you know, because no one can access it and no one knows how to use it again. And it, it then just becomes an exercise of, you know, capturing data. I mean, you know, we're just capturing terabytes of data just for the sheer hell of it. Um, and that's not really useful to you as, a, as an organization. So really, I would say that's the three things I would sum it up as. And Nick, how, how, do, how would you say to go about this, this whole path of, being able to capture the right data and then use it effectively and share knowledge across the organization. What's some of the key steps that you'd, you'd mention as part of that? Yeah, so um, I would say with the first thing to understand about knowledge management is it doesn't just happen. Uh, it doesn't happen by accident. And it doesn't matter how many times 
the CEO or or somebody else says, you know, oh, we should do something about that, or, you know, or we've seen this before, haven't we done this before? Didn't someone else ask us the same question? You know, um, now no matter how many times you're having those kind of conversations, um, really nothing's really going to change as a result of that. Um, you have to make a conscious effort to actually start capturing, accessing, and using your data um, and information that you have. Um, so don't just think that somehow by by accident that uh, that information is going to become reusable. It doesn't. Um, things hide in people's inboxes. They hide in chats. They hide, you know, in all sorts of different places. Um, and the reality is, people don't really think about it, right? Uh, in their day-to-day work, it's not really something that everyone's thinking of. You know, I solve something for a client or I answer a question. No one really thinks about. You know, hang on, is somebody else asking the same question or should that go in our FAQs or should that go somewhere else or put it more prominently on our website? Why do I keep getting asked the same thing? People aren't really doing that. They're really just thinking about the question that's right in front of them, getting that customer or client satisfied there and then. Uh, and they don't really think about, you know, reusing that later. So it has to be a conscious effort um, to doing that. So that's the first thing I would say. You've got to you've got to have a project or a program or a mechanism to be able to do that um, to, and to do that well. Um, and you've got to have the, you know, when when we think about these things here at Silverdale, um, really we think about kind of building mechanisms around these sorts of topics. So do you have a process um, to make it happen? Do you have a tool, um, whether it's a system or sticky notes or a whiteboard or something? And do you have a tool to make it happen? Is there adoption? So are people actually adopting the process and using the tool that you put in place? Um, and then of course, is there an audit? Do you have a way of making sure that those things you put in place are actually being used? Unless you have a mechanism to capture the data, uh, the knowledge management within your company, um, then again, don't be surprised that it's just a good intention. Uh, and we just all said it to make ourselves feel better, um, but we didn't actually do anything. Um, so really focus on the mechanism uh, is a really uh, important way to do that. The other thing I would say as well, which I think is a very important step um, to getting better knowledge management is get out of email. Email is a killer of knowledge management. Um, email is just things sitting in an individual's inbox, it will will kill your knowledge management exercise quicker than anything else. Um, because that information, you can't find it, you can't see it, you can't get it across the organization. It's just in one place with one person. And if that person's not around, guess what? No one else can see that. So get out of email. And that's probably one of the most difficult steps, quite honestly. I think, Nick, when you think about it, I think email would be the primary knowledge management system for bulk of people but I guess I'm just assuming that comes from us really thinking from an individual perspective like an email I can find what I need to find right right good for you uh doesn't help the person sitting next to you or the person who's coming after you or the person on the other you know side of the world who's got exactly the same question or exactly the same problem and is going to spend you know the same amount of time you did finding out that 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 nugget of information that's going to save a sale or help satisfy a client or solve a problem and you know that that's the problem with email is it's your own personal inbox and it's just for you and that is the big issue with email yeah it's a it's a nightmare of a system isn't it when it comes down to it it (laughs) also when you think the distraction and impact of noise across the organization yeah yeah what what's your view on where things are going with um a lot of the 
other communication softwares now like that people are starting to use a lot like slack and stuff like that what's your views on that system yeah absolutely i think um it's kind of interesting i think we had this wave of um this kind of almost like social uh, kind of management social interactions within companies things like slack um you know more recently around microsoft teams for example or things like you know more specific things like asana and think those kind of tools um which i think are getting better and better all the time quite honestly um i think um, especially when you look at Microsoft Teams, I think Microsoft has done a really good job um, with that product and really getting you know really good adoption of that um, across their user base. So I think you know those those tools are great because you, again you can search now uh, in some of those tools across documents, across chats, across you know um, other other types of conversations that that happen within the tools. So that's definitely improving. But again. Sometimes when you put in a, a search term or you try and find something, you try and find something in your chats in Microsoft Teams and, and trust me, you'll give up on it pretty quickly. Um, on its own, it's not, it's again, not really a knowledge management system. Uh, okay, it's it's a tool, definitely, um, but it's probably not the best tool out there, um, but it's a great start. But again, it's just a tool. Unless you have a process, unless you've got adoption, unless you've got an audit, guess what? Uh, it's just a bunch of information. You might as well just stick it in a bucket um, and uh, yeah. put a blindfold on. Right? We're, we're going to go back to the email or we're going to go back to whatever we previously <laughs> yes. used. So, Nick, with it, you've, you've had a lot of experience with this over the years. And the first one is to have that conscious effort, which is having that project and that systematic approach to it. I guess you what do you see happens if people don't have that project, that structured approach to it, where they're actually planning how we do this and executing it in some sort of project structure? Like, I guess this is a common topic I see across all sorts of change in an organisation. Yeah, I, well, you're just going to end up with a lot of frustration um, and, you know, a lot of redo, a lot of, you know, effort on doing it again and a lot of uh, frustrated users as well as a lot of frustrated managers and leaders. Um, because, you know, if you just tackle something uh, without a mechanism in place, um, then again, it's just good intentions and it just makes you feel better for five minutes um, until you move on to the next thing. Um, and, you know, without this structure, rigid structure in place, then, uh, you know, as I say, it's you're just pandering um, to, to make yourself feel better and it, it, just, it just won't work. Um, you know, so get, getting, getting rid of um, some of the fluff around this communication as well, right? Again, going back to email, but we'll get off that in a, in a minute. But, you know, another issue as well, not just email, um, but there's just too many systems. There's information in too many places, right? So you've got Microsoft Teams, and you might even have Slack, and you might have your email. And then, of course, you've got, you know, you've got Salesforce, and then you've maybe got your, um, you know, Survey Monkey where you do your surveys, and then you've got all constant contact for your email. You've got information all over the place, okay? And not only is it more difficult to search all those different places, it's also really uh, easy to get into a situation where you've got contradictory information, okay? So, you know, uh, an email address for a customer, for example, if that exists in three, four, five, six different systems and the customer changes their email, which one is correct, right? Um, so even that basic level of knowledge management, knowledge about your customer, right, in that in that circumstance, um, spread across too many systems, um, again, will start causing a lot of issues. So, you know, if... We, we we do this with some of our new clients as we ask them, hey, how many different systems do you use? Uh, it's a very simple question. Very rarely do we have a client who can actually answer it. Uh, and when they do answer it, they're generally wrong. 
okay <laughs> and they're normally wrong by a factor of about three to five times um you know we talk to the sea level people they think yeah we're probably using eight ten systems you start getting out there amongst the users then you realize actually there's probably 30 40 systems that are being used so with so many different disparate systems there's no way you can manage the knowledge uh, across all those places no I can, I, i've seen it time and time again in organizations where out of some of these five to ten systems there's actions and things they need to do too coming out of them and so people's heads are just spinning trying to keep across all yeah. the required actions and tasks they've got let alone being able to draw knowledge out of their systems now how do you how do companies go about taking control of this like actually you know of course they got to, we're saying they got to form a project and actually take a systematic approach to the change the next is then but i guess understanding all these disparate systems but starting to look at the right mechanisms processes and tools that you mentioned how do they go about that yeah so um you know one of the first things that you do of course is pick up the phone and speak to me uh you know so and we'll help anyone with uh with working through these sorts of challenges but um but you know really coming up with you know what information is it that's useful to our customers what are the common threads that go right through the company? So looking at, you know, you know, Pareto was right. Okay. So this, you know, just take a take a hundred of your latest help tickets, for example, from from customers. Just take a hundred of them, okay, and just bucket them into into categories and see if there's any common threads amongst those. You'll probably find some, maybe not all, but you're going to find some common threads there. So then think about, okay, how could we? have done this differently? How could we have made this self-service? How could we have done this in a different way? How could we change the verbiage on our website or make it, you know, an FAQ or something else? Think about, you know, how you then answer that. And then think about how you'll then scale that. Okay, so how do we then start finding ways of categorizing our information, whether it's through trouble tickets, whether it's through requests, whether it's through phone calls, you know, whether it's through chat, whatever it may be. And there's some great, um, you know, systems out there that will help you do that um, and actually look at the language that's being used and help you to categorize it. Um, but honestly, you know, just looking at it, um, you know, uh, manually, is also a really good way of doing it. When you're then looking to roll this out across um, across your team, you've got to have a way, an easy way of capturing that information. I'll give you one example um, from uh, from our own company. Um, when we started uh, taking you know help tickets um, from our clients, and what we started finding was kind of common threads: customers asking for the same the same thing um, uh, and trying to solve the same problem. So what we started doing was in our help ticket, we added a section for the solution. Um, but what we then found was actually that wasn't very searchable and it wasn't very easy for us to put that in a, you know, in a format that people could then use again. So we added a very simple button that simply says create knowledge. OK, and all, you, all it does, it takes the problem statement, the solution statement, puts it together into a text file and then posts it into our knowledge management system, which makes it searchable either by problem or by solution. So think about, you know, where is your information being held and how can you put some real simple tools in place to get that information into one place, um, whether it's a wiki, whether it's a, you know, some, something that's searchable, at least and some, again, some great systems out there for, for doing that. The other thing I would say as well, uh, as a big part of rolling this out, is you have to make it easy. OK, so don't have 
lots of sign-offs and approvals. And, you know, if you're going to have a wiki, for example, you know, make sure everybody can edit it, right? Don't hide things behind passwords. Don't put a lot of, you know, user rights around these things, right? Otherwise, it becomes unusable. So get getting that information accessible to everybody, um, you know, you got to make it really easy for people to find it. It's got to be as easy as searching on Google. If it's not as easy as that, then it, people aren't going to use it. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. So really, it's it's I guess it's understanding those big tickets um, and what is causing the noise in the company. Predo principle, I love it. And then yep. you're running continuous improvement or project events to basically execute ways to centralize and simplify that yeah. data for people to be able to access again in the future. Because I guess when there's been an event and someone solves something, that's knowledge, isn't it? Like Yeah, uh, and on its own, that's knowledge. Uh, absolutely right. And, you know, building building templates, building the right forms to capture information up front as well is also a really good way of kind of structuring that data um, on its way in, which means that afterwards you're kind of focused on, okay, if I'm going to use this data later, then actually I have to be able to use it and capture it in the right way in the first place. So it will also start informing how you captured information in the first place as well. I could see, Nick, with it, you know, you're going to create that central knowledge system but I guess there's a part two of just peeling back all these systems that we've built into a company and created complexity over the years. Like, how have you found, how have you helped companies go about that where you've definitely helped them, you know, take knowledge which is just scattered everywhere and start to centralise it in one sort of blog type system I'm understanding, you know, something that's really easily to search. What about where there's just all these softwares about the place? And do you actually need all these softwares that people have to get into all the time? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think when I look at, um, you know, even, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, I guess, when I, I started in this uh, ERP business, um, there was this phrase, the single view of the customer was a phrase that was used a lot, right? Um, about, you know, how do I get to see all my interactions with a customer over their lifetime? Um, and you know the companies who do that well, and you know the companies who don't, okay? Just try calling an airline or calling a bank, for example, right? Uh, when, when they pick up the phone to you, do they know who you are, right? Do they see the last time you called in? Do they see the products that you've bought? Do they see, you know, how you've interacted with their website, all the transcripts from previous conversations, do they see the chat history? Do they, can they see all that or can they not? And you can always tell the ones that can, oh, give me a couple, I just have to put you through to a different team or oh, I've got to log into a different system or, you know, just you, you hear people saying that all the time in these customer service situations. And even companies who, you know, have a brick and mortar store and have an online store, you know, again, those things don't always talk to each other either, right? So, you know, reducing the number of systems and getting that true single view of the customer um, is it's felt like a panacea for a very long time. Now, we've helped clients solve for that. The system, uh, our system of choice is Odoo. That's the ERP system. We're an official partner of Odoo. And Odoo does a really good job uh, of making sure that all those interactions are in one place. So the power of being like, for example, again, just take our own company as an example. 
the power of me being able to, you know, if my phone rings through Odoo, okay, and that number is recognized as one of our clients, that client record pops up on my screen even before I've answered the call, okay? And when I'm answering the call, I'm talking to the customer, I can see, oh, here's the number of tickets that that client has opened. I can see they've got three projects running with us. I can see how many tasks are outstanding. I can see the meetings that are set up with everybody in our company with that particular client. I can have a really intelligent conversation with that client right off the bat. They don't have to explain to me what their interactions are with my company. Okay, why should they, right? I can see all that in one place, that single view of the client and that single view of the customer is possible. But it isn't when you're running five, six, 10, 35 different systems, because guess what? You're going to log into the next one. You've probably forgotten the password anyway. Um, so, you know, you constantly find yourself having to search for this stuff. You know, uh, I I regularly deal with our clients, you know, who to get a single view of the client, if they would if they were to try and get a single view of their customer without, you know, using um, the systems and the processes that we use, it would probably take them half a day quite real in real you know realistically half a day go log into you know 10 12 different places go get all the invoices rolled up into one place all the sales of all the products all the website visits that they've had into one place probably take you half a day um and your customer is not going to wait and hold for half a day while you figure that out okay so you know you this single view of the customer is a really great way in fact of of kind of projecting that type of project, right? Why this information is important, because guess what? The single view of the customer is important. Um, and that's a really good way to drive this kind of change. I can imagine, especially when you think business excellence or enterprise excellence, uh, it's all about the customer. But if your yeah. people who are trying to serve that customer can't just basically put their fingers on the data and knowledge that the customer needs, or the customer can't do it themselves, well, you're you're in trouble out of the gate, aren't you? Like you're you're creating lag, waiting, bad experiences, defects, all yeah. all that bad stuff that we want to get rid of. I remember yeah. Nick, and we all, as I say, we all know the companies that do that really well, and we know the companies that really don't. And I would kind of challenge, you know, everyone listening to this podcast and uh, looking at their own business, I would challenge you to really think about, you know, when have you experienced that? When have you experienced that really exceptional service when that person really did have a single view of your business with them, right? And then think about a situation where it didn't exist. And then think about your interactions with your customers. What bucket would they put you in? Um, and then that's what you need to start tackling. I think um, um, what's going through my mind, Nick, is um, the power of Gemba, like senior leaders going and actually sitting in that call center for half a day and actually seeing what happens or or that service technician or whoever it may be that's serving your customer. Go be that person for a day and see what the cockpit's like. Like, do you yeah. have access to that knowledge and information right when you need it? Yeah, absolutely. And Gemba is it's so important. You know, we have, you know, almost 40 employees at Silverdale. I still answer help tickets. Uh, you know, I have a team of people who a uh, job it is uh, to answer help tickets. I still do it too. Um, I jump in there and I'll take a couple of tickets every day just to just to see other other tools or the processes really working. Are we really you know giving customers what they need? And sometimes our customers are quite surprised when they get a response from me uh, on a ticket. It's like, oh my god, you know, Nick's on the help desk today. Well, uh, yeah, I am. You know, uh, it's it's vital to really stay attached to the business. Um, and also, you know, I I challenge myself to spend a third of my time 
um, with customers um, and on their on their sites, in their manufacturing sites, with their call centers, with their office people, um, to really see what our processes and systems look like in the real world. There's nothing like seeing it in the real world um, to, to really make a difference. So, so Gemba is absolutely critical as part of this. Yeah. Nick, we've just had a uh, major airline in Australia where they, through COVID and, and labour shortages and all this, a lot of the senior executives have had to go down and handle baggage. You know, so they've all for, I don't know, I guess weeks, days, weeks, had to become baggage handlers. I bet you right. there's going to be some dramatic rapid improvement. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet there. I'll bet those those conference rooms uh, in the next few months are going to be hot, hot, hot um, with improvements and uh, with a lot of kaizen events going on. I'm sure of it. Um, that's a great way to to get that change through. So I look forward to see what comes from that. I saw that uh, news article the other day and I it made me chuckle a little bit. Thinking, okay, I'll bet there's going to be some big changes in baggage handling. <laughs> <laughs> Those baggage handlers, their, their life is going to get much better and customer outcomes are going to improve from their baggage point of view because it's Absolutely. also rather rife at the minute with baggage getting lost. So um, there's this is going to drive rapid improvement. Creating a better future is about change for good. Change to help an organisation, its people, customers, the society it works in and the planet. Change is not an easy but. Creating a culture of continuous improvement, small changes, as well as large strategic change, creates agility in an organisation. We are living in an amazing time where the knowledge to achieve this is readily available. The secret is in applying the knowledge, putting it into practice. To help with this, we have a monthly newsletter focused on this topic. That will also help you connect with upcoming events, recent guests, and other learnings. We also have the Enterprise Excellence Community that allows you to connect with others leading transformations as well as our global experts to go see, learn and help gain knowledge from each other on how to truly put this knowledge into practice. If the monthly newsletter or community could help you, please go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash contact to let us know or reach out on LinkedIn or any other communication channel to myself and we'll get you connected. Let's get back to the show. But Nick, great, great advice and I just love the conversation around simplifying and centralizing technology on this. You know, like we've spoken about it from customer facing, but I, I guess I know from my own experience in life with factory um, automation and flow and all the side I was involved in that, that single source of truth and that single access of knowledge in the factory or in the warehouse, it's the same story, isn't it? Like the factory, well, they're serving the warehouse potentially, right? So they they are serving the external customer, but also the warehouse. If they can't just touch the information they need when they need it and make decisions, it's the same problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely the same problem. And, you know, clicking clicking through, drilling down um, is something that we get our clients used to doing, right? Uh, again, having everything all in one place means that, doesn't matter where I am in that supply chain, in that value stream, wherever I am, even if I'm right towards the end of that at shipping, for example, if it's that real last interaction before it goes on the truck and something happens, okay, can I get all the way back through the manufacturing process, through the bills of material, into the components, be able to see the history of that? You know, can I actually do that 
through my manufacturing system and inventory systems. Very few can. Um, you know, I, I we, we work with a client um, down in Georgia, a very large printing company. And what's interesting um, is they have a lot of uniqueness within that printing um, business. And what they need to be able to do is, again, right at the end of their process, on a specific delivery is see exactly which lot or what serial number was employed as part of the manufacturing process. And so that was really, you know, a really um, interesting project for us to be able to show them how to actually get full traceability from a finished product all the way through to the original components and the purchase order and the uh, RFQ that was created and get access to, you know, the documents that were attached to it and the pictures, videos, uh, the measurements that were taken on the receipt of the original component and being able to show them that within one place with just a few simple clicks uh, without having to, you know, go into lots of different systems. Um, you, you know, just speeding up that information right across the value streams is uh, is really critical. You're ultimately creating flow, aren't you? And I guess enterprise excellence at the heart of it is about helping people flow and products and services flow for customers rapidly, isn't it? And um yeah. Our technology platform nowadays can either help us or hinder us massively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it does kind of feel like that, and that's uh, that's one of the uh, questions we ask ourselves uh, quite often here: is it is it helping or is it hindering? Um, it's either doing one or the other, and if it you know if it's hindering you, you, you got to figure it out. Um, and you know, one of the things we you made me think about we just when you're talking about flow there as well is. You know, we, we still see a lot of our clients, a lot of our uh, customers really still thinking um, in terms of departments, right, and functions. Um, so whether it's sales, project management, manufacturing, you know, shipping, distribution, whatever it may be. Um, you know, and, you know, if someone isn't looking at their business in terms of work streams, um, at the moment, they've really got to get on the bandwagon on that one. Um, you know, whenever mm -hmm. processes pass from one department to the next, tends to be where the issues are. And guess what? If it's just one, if you just look at it department by department, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities for improvement, especially when those uh, when that information passes from one team to another. That's frequently where things are going wrong. Yeah. I was just um, thinking that value stream and, and maybe mapping from a value stream perspective frequently. Yes. You know. Yes. Oh, I'm I'm a value stream mapping freak. I love it. Um, yeah, I, yeah. you know, every opportunity I get, I'm up there on the board with my post-it notes and uh, putting putting my uh, my symbols on there. And um, but it, there's no clearer way of being able to see the process from end to end. And you know, quite frequently when you start that process, you go, great, okay, we've got ten post-its on the wall, fantastic. Okay, okay, now. Are you sure that's that's everything? Oh, actually, there's a couple more bits. Oh, oh, actually, there's a few more things. And okay, ten posted suddenly becomes fifty. You know, you yeah, start realizing, yeah. ah, okay, that's really what happens. Uh, yeah. That's not what you think, leadership. That's what you think happens. Now, how does it actually happen on the floor again? Using some Gemba um, helps you to validate that too. Yeah, Nick, I love your approach, mate. I've been involved in many events like that with really. Uh, forward thinking IT managers, you know, and man, the results you can get are massive. Um, yeah. IT managers that actually use that map as part of it, but then also use that map as a guiding vision for their project. You know, it's it's yeah, it's amazing outcomes. And I've also been involved in the other, where everything's sort of just <laughs> done ad hoc and piecemeal, and right. yeah, it doesn't go well. 
Yeah, and it's you know it's so easy when you start going down a technical route. Um, it's so easy to get get really blinkered on the technical solution, right? That technically it works great. Guess what? Technically, <laughs> someone's not going to be sitting next to you when they're having to operate this process at two in the morning, you know, in minus ten in a refrigerated warehouse, right? That, that that's great. It works for you sitting at your nice comfy desk. It ain't going to work at two in the morning, right, in the dark, dim corner of the warehouse, right? And so actually getting people involved in getting these processes out in the wild uh, and seeing them in the real world is really the only time it works. Yeah, I, I say that. I, I, I've always felt like a lot of companies, we go, we get hot and sweaty on technology, then we look at the processes we could use to improve it, and then we think, how do we get the people to adopt it? Where it's like, let's flip that thing. Let's involve the right people. <laughs> look at the process with value stream mapping and then think about how do we improve the technology like why we don't do that it's logical yes. but yes. we get just hung up on the tech you know yeah. and yeah. it leads to barriers silos mess carnage doesn't it yeah absolutely you know the the, the old adage is true um if you're going to change me involve me right yeah. um, and it, you know there's nothing worse uh, I had a project a couple of years ago, one of our very first projects, um, working with a client in manufacturing. And we've been working with this client for a good oh, five, six months on the project. And, you know, working with them on doing some user training and, you know, they were taking on the task of doing user training. And what was interesting, we did the first site visit, arrived on site, went down to the warehouse, went to the receiving dock and spoke to you know the team there doing receiving okay great hey my name's nick i'm you know from silverdale we're helping your company to implement odoo and they just look at me and say, what are you talking about you know what is what is odoo who is silver who are you why are you on my loading dice like oh this okay. is not gonna go well <laughs> okay i'm here this week to make sure everything's going well but i uh, see it's not um you know but but that, but that again it was because the technical team were like yeah, we posted the training online. Yeah, we put it into our e-learning. And yeah, we, we gave people tasks to go look at it. Yeah, training's done, right? Uh, okay, right. Well, you know, um, you've done 30% of the job here. Yeah, <laughs> you know? That's and then not involving. Really, really that's where the hard work starts, right? Yeah. I love that, how you simplified it. I, I think it's it's pinned to Roosevelt, isn't it, that saying that, um, tell me and I'll forget, show me and I might know something, involve me and I understand. Yeah. I think I had a... Um, Peter on a previous podcast, he then said, um, you know, get me engaged in the improvement and you got innovation or something like that, you know, but yeah. Yeah. it's um, it's golden knowledge, but it can be overlooked so quickly. But those techniques you've mentioned around Gemba, value stream mapping, forming the right project team, I guess that all helps with that third part of the adoption we're talking about. Like we've naturally blended onto the adoption step that yeah. you've spoken about. Yeah. Are there any yeah, other key parts of adoption you'd say, Nick? Oh, absolutely. So it really, this fourth, when we when we look at a process and we look at a mechanism that's in place, uh, within the adoption space, really we're looking for you know four things, right? Within adoption, there's only there's only really four reasons why a mechanism has not been adopted by the end users. One, they weren't aware of it. They don't even know they should be doing it. Okay, that's the first thing that happens all the time. Okay. Second thing is. They don't have access to it, right? So they don't have the right user rights in the system or they don't have the right tools to be able to access it, okay? Or it'd be so many times, you know, when we've been on site, we said, why don't you just click on that? Oh, I did click on that, nothing happens. Oh, 
that's because someone didn't give you the right user rights. Ah, okay, let's go fix that. Okay, so you know, so either you didn't know about it, you don't have access to the right tools or, or the right part of the system to do it in the first place. Third reason you don't know how. Okay, so you just don't know what to do. So you know you should be doing it. I just don't know how to do it. Right, no one's ever shown me. I've never been trained. Never been, um, you know, ne never been, you know, walked through exactly what what to do. And of course, the fourth thing is that they just don't want to. Okay, and if and it's not just and that just don't want to isn't because you know they're just being obstinate, right? Just don't want to, but because no one's really explained why why this change is coming and what benefits it has for that individual right and so guess what they're just railing against it because like i don't want it i don't understand what this is for right so really it's one of those four things that we're looking for right do i know i should be doing it have i been trained to do it do i have the right tools to do it um and do i want to do it okay and so we're really looking for those four things and quite frequently we don't see um those things in place and so there's a really good change management model out there called ADCAR. Um, we use ADCAR um, as part of our delivery mechanism for our projects. Uh, we have a technical delivery plan. We also have an ADCAR plan that sits underneath that as well. Uh, and we make sure that as our project moves from one milestone to the next, that our ADCAR milestones are also included. Um, so, you know, we, we, you know, as well as doing a kind of technical implementation, you know, that change management implementation is really important. Our US and employees. In fact, all of our US employees are um, ProSize certified uh, with ADCAR as well um, to make sure we don't forget that. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. There's so much knowledge built in those change management models like ADCAR or COTA's eight steps, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of work going to figure that out. So you don't have to go figure it out for yourself. <laughs> right, right. This is absolutely true. Someone has already done the hard work. Yeah. Uh, just go use it, right? Yeah. Don't try and come up with something fresh and new. That's why we didn't do it, right? There's already a model out there. Um, let's just adopt one of them. You know, choose your horse and ride it. Yeah. Nick, the, the other final bit you mentioned that I think is really pertinent and I think it's often overlooked is that audit check, that sequential systematic check and review that gets done, which so often gets missed or doesn't get done. Right. And you can have entropy creep into anything. Oh, well, yeah. how do you find that looks? Why, why, why did you pick up on the importance of that? And how did you, how do you find that looks as you go forward? Yeah, audit is so important. You know, you can have the process, you can have the tool, you can, you can have the adoption, but unless you audit it, every single process breaks down over time, regardless. Okay, if you don't look at it for more than a couple of weeks it will start to break down. Every process does that, okay? Um, you know, again, so many times we see this, you know, even in our company, right? You get three months down the road, you go, didn't we, didn't we do this already? Hang on a minute, we solved this. We've even got a tool for this, right? We developed it, right? Why didn't it happen, right? And you start realizing it's no one's fault. Nothing went wrong, okay? Over time, the knowledge gets lost, things degrade. So processes are living, breathing things, okay? Unless you look at it and unless you, you know, interact with it, um, those who are old enough will remember the kind of Tamagotchi um, craze from, uh, I guess, 20 years ago now, you know, where you have to feed this, you know, virtual animal and, you know, and interact with it every day. Um, to keep the thing alive, your processes are just like Tamagotchis, okay? Um, you've got to focus on it. And that's really what the audit is all about. So what, what uh, metrics, what KPIs, what agendas can you add that particular 
um, process into to make sure it's still being done. So is it a dashboard? Is it, you know, every month you take, you know, 100 customer calls or interactions and you make sure, hey, did we follow, follow our process? So, for example, you know, again, take what we do. You know, we take a random uh, selection of 10 um, help tickets every week. And what we do is we run through the checklist. You know, did we create a knowledge article? Did we communicate with the client? Did we add a root cause to this thing? Did we, you know, we go through all the things we should do as part of the process. And we make sure that actually these 10 tickets, what's the score, right? And that's effectively our audit score for this process. And if the score is not good, okay, something's gone wrong. Either the process isn't working anymore, okay, we need to go look at the process, or there's something wrong with our tool, okay, or it's something wrong with our adoption. Go figure out which one of those three or uh, combination thereof um, has gone wrong. So, you know, using those those kind of four parts of the mechanism really helps you to fix stuff too. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think so often we just think that we've put a process in place, job done, <laughs> dust off the hands and off we go. But it's not like yeah, never it's, <laughs> it's going to fall over if we don't have another another PDCA cycle or at least a check on it and yeah. and then act based on that you know and it's um it's been such a learning through my career I've got to admit too Nick it's um I'm sort of the kettle calling the pot black is a saying in Australia anyway that um <laughs> yeah yeah no, it it's so easy done that. though right you 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 think you the process i have got a process i'm done right move on next thing right it's such a natural way for us to do this um but again unless you've got an audit or a mechanism that says you know when something doesn't fall out you know what what are you going to do about it right how are you going to how are you going to know yeah if a this process of, stops and a lot of companies at least in australia have got quality teams or and safety teams who do conduct audits and reviews you know but they're more seen as a pain in the neck and a police rather than actually you know they're a department that's throwing energy at this to help ensure right. that our processes don't head to entropy and don't fall backward and i right. can learn from their reviews they do um i think there's a real shift to happen there in companies isn't there is, is embrace this check embrace the learning that comes from it and improve from it right and, and the danger there of course is you think about audit as being this you know, um, tick box exercise are done by a, by a separate team. And really, it doesn't need to be like that. When we think of audit here, you know, we don't have, a, uh, you know, any external auditors coming in looking at our process and, you know, ISO and all that sort of stuff. We don't we don't have any of that. But really, the audit is about internally. How do you know? How do you as the manager of this team or leader of this team, how do you as an individual know if this process is still working? And it doesn't have to be an elaborate you know, external audit process, have a dashboard. You know, so we, we use dashboards a lot here, right? Um, and it just highlights, hey, everything's green, we're all good, right? Actually, this against this measure, this against this, whatever it may be, you know, how many, you know, tickets have been closed this week without a solution, for example, added, right? Very simple ticker, right? But if that number starts growing, then you say, hey, we've got a problem, right? That is that is an audit mechanism in my book. That's part of your audit, right? It doesn't have to be this once a year tick box exercise, which, you know, as you say, <laughs> nobody really enjoys. No, and it's too true like that you know, bringing quality into the process that you'd manage by yourself. That's best practice. Quality at the source. You can't, yeah. you can't beat it. Nick, yeah. what, what would be your two minute tip in this area of expertise we're talking about, mate, which I've loved because I've seen it so much throughout my career, but what would be your two minute tip for listeners? Uh, really, it's it's mechanisms. Uh, think about everything in terms of mechanism. 
is there a mechanism um, that's going to back this up? So again, be clear about, is there a process? Is there a tool? Is there adoption? And is there an audit? If you don't have any one of those four things, do not be surprised that something doesn't stick or doesn't work or doesn't happen. Okay. And, you know, it's, you, you've got to identify that, uh, the lack of mechanism very quickly. You've got to arrest it very quickly. You've got to say, hey, do we have a mechanism for this or are we just making ourselves feel better for a while? And if, if it's the latter, and that's what we all agree, hey, we're just saying this because it's going to make us feel better. Hey, great. OK, we're all going to feel better for 10 minutes. That's fine. Right. If that's exactly what we're doing. Um, but in business, that's not really what we're here for. So, you know, challenging each other. Um, what's the mechanism to make sure this happens? Right. Just asking that very simple question. Do we have a mechanism or is this going to make us feel better? And then it just makes people think, you know, you know, we don't have a mechanism. OK. What's the process? Do we have a process? Okay, yes, no. Okay, do we have a tool? Is the tool working, right? Again, tool doesn't have to be a system. You don't spend thousands of dollars on a system, right? Just get a whiteboard, right? And a dry weight marker, okay? Just start there, right? It doesn't have to be elaborate. Um, do we have adoption? Are people, do people know how to do it? Have they been trained how to do it? Do they have the tools and the access to do it? And do they want to do it, right? Do you have adoption? And do you have an audit to make sure it stays in place? So really focusing on the mechanism rather than just making yourself feel better. Yeah, that's awesome. Nick, thanks so much, mate. Nick, what's been a recent insight for you? What's been a recent learning you've had? Well, you know, um, it's a great question. Um, I had an interaction a few weeks back um, with one of our manufacturing clients. And again, you know, I, I've been doing this for 30 plus years and I've seen tech, uh, some technology come and go. What was really interesting, I think a few weeks ago, was um, out in a production line, first time we'd put, um, we put tablets um, out on the shop floor uh, for this in this manufacturing environment. And we, we had a keyboard and we had a mouse attached to it and all that great stuff. What was really interesting, though, is working with the operators, these newer, younger uh, workforce, when they came up on the screen, their first reaction was to touch the screen, not use the mouse, not use the keyboard. Now, that's the first time I really noticed that, okay, in a manufacturing environment, right? Um, you put a mouse and a keyboard next to a screen, people are going to start using it, certainly my generation, right? Um, but actually, the first thing people started doing was tapping the screen and moving things around. And my realization that, oh, my goodness, we're building these things wrong, okay? We've got to build stuff, you know, on how the new generation of workers actually expect to use it. And without even getting into, you know, the virtual reality manufacturing, all that sort of stuff, which, quite frankly, is out of reach for, you know, probably 99 percent of the businesses that we work with, at least. Right. Um, but just things like, you know, you've got to start thinking about how this new generation are using touchscreen. And that's that's what they're used to using. And that was a real revelation for me a few weeks back that, wow, OK, Manufacturing interaction with technology has shifted uh, with this new generation. And that, for me, was a big revelation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the bulk of time is now spent on a phone, isn't it? And that's all touchscreen. So yeah, that's it. A computer needs to be that way. That's in, that's amazing. Mate, Nick, I really appreciate the knowledge and the insights and, and helping us you know, create that better future. But how can people reach out to you and connect to be able to get help and learn more? Because... You know, I guess this is such a a big opportunity for many companies. Yeah, yeah. First of all, don't send me an email. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, actually, the best way to get uh, in touch with us 
is through our website at silverdilltech.com. Um, and within the website, we have forms built on just about every page um, that you can contact us through. The great thing about that is it doesn't sit in someone's inbox. Um, we do have a mechanism in the background that captures every single one of those contact forms. Uh, and it makes sure that we, we follow up on that with a proper SLA in our system. So uh, that is by far the best way of getting in contact with me. Great, Nick. You're practicing what you preach, mate. That's awesome. You're on dog food. You have to. <laughs> well, Nick, thanks so much, mate. Thanks for sharing knowledge and helping us create a better future. And, mate, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye for now. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. Firstly, process, tool adoption, and audit. Nick described a great approach to think about sustainability of a system. In a way, it is applying PDCA thinking over critical processes and systems. Plan the process, tool, and adoption approach you want for a system. Implement a pilot or the whole improvement at once. And then instigate a monitoring review system as part of your check and act approach to ensure the system sustains, but then also act based on your learnings to keep it going. And then keep applying improvement from there, of course, ongoing in the future as well. Every business or team has a number of critical processes or systems. This thinking really allows you to ensure that you have sustainability of improvement and process performance, but also can keep it continuously improving into the future. The second key takeaway for me was using technology to enable people and processes. Technology is amazing, especially when it is focused on enabling people and process. If you engage your people, work with them to understand their critical processes, then delve into what they could do to improve and where technology may help. This really provides a strong foundation for technology being successful. People, process and technology thinking rather than the other way. Getting excited about a technology, trying to find what process it could help with and then figuring out how to get people on board with it. What a great episode, Nick. Thank you so much for your insights and knowledge. Thanks for helping us create a better future. Bye for now.